Welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. This is episode number 564, continuing in our family series. And tonight we're going to talk about the problem of sin in marriage. I'm Ricky Gantz, along with Mike Miller. And again, we are G220 Radio. We want to thank you for tuning in tonight. Mike, uh, how's things going with you, man? It's going pretty good. Have you heard the news coming out of the Southern Baptist Convention? I have not. I have not. You I have saw a few, not. I saw a few um, videos recently that some people did about the SBC and the state of the SBC or whatever, but mm. I did not have the opportunity to check them out. I don't know if they are what the news is that you're about to share, but oh no, what no, the news was released today. Mm. The executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention has said Saddleback Church in Orange County, California is not in good standing with the SBC and have deemed them as trying to think of the the actual an unfriendly cooperation, I think is how the Mm. language they use. That is to say that the Southern Baptist Convention has cut ties with Saddleback Church in which is famously for being Rick Warren's church. Church he started, he stepped down last year. But yeah, they're no longer in friendly cooperation with the Southern Baptist Convention. Wonderful. That that will hopefully lead to, if they bring up at the next convention about women, preachers, and, and whatnot, which hopefully they should just get that going, like just do away with it because we know what the scriptures say. But if they do bring that up, hopefully the majority will say, no, absolutely not. Absolutely well, not. Th- because they're now not in good standing with the Southern Convention, they can't send messengers right. to New Orleans this year for the convention. Right. And they can appeal, and it can, they can be heard in the appeal process there, but they can't actually be involved in the formal proceedings. Mm-hmm of the convention when they gather. So um, that's what it is. They did mark it because the husband's wife is called a teaching pastor. And they're like, yeah, that's that's not supportive in the BFM 2000. So, right. Well, that is definitely good news to hear. So a little news to you, if you did not know about it, like myself, uh, news breaking to news us, breaking news, radio. breaking news. Um, man, we've got uh, a great series that has been going on so far. I, I believe so. Um, that we've really been digging into the theology of marriage. We we did that a few weeks ago, and then we went into the the duties of a husband and of a wife. 
And now we're going to talk about the problem of sin, specifically in a marriage. But obviously, uh, a marriage is made up of a man and a woman, which is the only marriage that can be instituted uh, because it is God who has given us divine marriage. And so when we think about the, the realities of what the Bible says about sin and how everyone is born a sinner because of Adam, the implications of the fall on mankind. And so we can't really get around that. So I want to I want to start with that, the, the idea and understanding that we're all born sinners. And so the, the fact that we're all born sinners and totally depraved through one man, sin comes into the world. We're all born sinners. We're all dead in our sins and trespasses. We are all by nature children of wrath, as the scripture tells us. We come forth from our womb speaking lies. We are sinners by our very nature. And so when you think about that and you put two sinners together, there's going to be at times conflict because you have sin. And we're going to talk about this a little bit here as well with the the unbelievers and believers, because even as believers, we still have a flesh that remains. We still sin even though we are not now a slave to sin. We are not bound to, to that sin nature. We have a new nature, but the flesh still remains, and we sin. And that, that's why it's wonderful that we have one that we can go to who is a mediator between us and, and, and God. That is the man, Christ Jesus, who forgives us of our sins and cleanses us of all unrighteousness, as it says in 1 John 1, 9. But to think about these things, we I think we have to start there with this total depravity. Yeah, I mean, biblical, any biblical theology, that is theology that is biblical, has to have the right view of man. And we can look at the first two chapters of Genesis and we can see God's wonderful plan for our life, which is what it was that we commune with God in a, in a garden, in his presence, and to expand his presence in his garden to cover the whole world. But as, centers, as sin enters the world, it changes the dynamics. And that's why having a proper understanding of the depravity of man or the incapable man's inability to not sin um, it's so helpful because what is marriage but two sinners coming together and the vow for life. Mm -hmm. And so we have to have a good understanding of when these sinners say, I do. Because if you don't, well, things are going to happen. And sin, I mean, because sin's going to happen and you won't have the, the, categories in your life to deal with it appropriately and rightly and godly yeah yeah and that's why uh, again as as we we stated we want to start with this understanding of the depravity of man um because as we we think about this and we seek to think through 
the problem of sin in marriage. I mean, you you have to deal with the problem of sin, period. When, when we're evangelizing unbelievers, atheists, uh-huh. or, or those with other religions, especially those with other religions, and one of the things I love to ask them is, how do you deal with your sin problem? Because we're all sinners. How do you deal with that? And biblical Christianity is the only one of all the religions in the world that really deals with man's sin. The Bible says we're all sinners, and there's nothing we can do of that. We talk about total depravity. The Bible said no one seeks for God. No one no one can do good. There are none, none good. There are none righteous, as it says in Romans 3. There's nothing we can do. The Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. Every other religion in the world is this push for man to somehow merit or do certain things to make themselves right. And yet, even even when you think of Islam, you could do all these things and and Allah could just say, nah, you know what? I'm not going to accept you in. But Christianity doesn't say that. It, It says there's nothing you can do to be made right with God. It's the only religion that that shows us a way in which we can have our sin problem dealt with. And that's through Christ. The only way. Yeah, we all like that covenant of works. We think we can make it. Mm-hmm. But as we know, it's like climbing a wall of sand, a ladder of sand. You're just not mm-hmm. going to get anywhere. Right. Yeah. So as we think about total depravity within the marriage and we think about now how this sin, how sin <clears throat> affects uh, marriage, and especially when we think of the fact that there's unbelievers in this world, two sinners coming together, and then you have two Christians, believers coming together in marriage as well. And sometimes, based upon statistics, based upon what we see in culture, what we see in life is sometimes it doesn't look much different when it comes to divorce and issues that people have within marriage. But the one thing I I would say is that, as you mentioned, uh, Mike, that that the, the... the way in which we as Christians can view and and understand and seek the wisdom from God's word, which gives us much wisdom in how we are to operate, how we are to respond, doesn't mean we always do that perfectly. We're going to talk about that here because sin still affects us as believers and it affects our relationships with others. And so we're going to talk about that. But that isn't to say that two unbelievers can't have a good marriage by the standard of the world, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they still live in God's world. Mm-hmm. And what God has, how God has said Christians should act in relationships, especially in relationships between a, a man and a woman, husband and wife. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. If you do what God commands, it goes well for you. Now, they may not have a heart of obedience, mm-hmm. which is a different issue. But if they, you know, are ones who kind of have an everlasting love for each other, they seek to honor each other, they're going to have a life, a good life. And you see that even in how psychology tries to 
kind of help people in their relationships. They're just, they're seeing all they're seeing and they're like, Oh, these are the things you do. They don't always get it all right. But what you do see is this. Oh yeah. That's what the Bible says. Like if you would have just read how we should live, live and how we were to act towards one another, you would have gotten to the same location. Um, and so to think about what God has given to us in the wisdom is shared in some sense by common knowledge because the conscience bears witness to God's law and God's mm -hmm. law is good and it's perfect and it's for our benefit and for our flourishing. And so, yeah, I mean, you look at the outside world, the, the sinners, I mean, even Islam has, you know, in one sense, you see the long, or at least what they say, the long marriages the, and like that. Um, so it's not unique to Christianity. What the difference is, is that we worship the God who created it. And we're called to that higher standard. And so it should be most prevalent in Christian marriages. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as we think about this, so we, we, we know that we start with this, this basis of man being totally depraved. We're born sinners. It affects our marriages, unbelievers and believers alike. Although believers, because of the spirit indwelling in them, um, we should respond differently. doesn't mean we always do because of the sin that still remains within us or the flesh. But when we think about these things, I think where we, where we naturally must go is confession of sin. Because what does unconfessed sin do between us and God, ultimately? It, what unconfessed sin does is it hinders our joy and our peace with God. We ultimately have that eternal peace with God, that, that um, salvation that is justified and never will never be revoked or taken away. We don't lose it. But when you have unconfessed sin before God, it does hinder your joy in your relationship with God. And so some scriptures that, that come to mind um, that, that I put down here is, is the one when, when, and I mentioned it already in the beginning, when, when we have sinned against God, the spirit then indwelling us should convict us. But even in that conviction, sometimes we can become uh, dull to hear it or to recognize it because of our sin. Again, that, that relationship is, is hindered, but God then disciplines those whom he loves. He chastines those whom he loves to get your attention back and say, listen to me, right? Um, hear this conviction that I'm sending upon you. But in first John one nine, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And then when we think of even David, a man after God's own heart, he sins with Bathsheba, right? He, he sees her. He should be out to war with his people, but he's not. He stays back. He sees her. He takes her for himself and lays with another man's wife. And then for this period of time, he's living in sin and his joy is not there. He is not 
in that right relationship with the Lord because of his sin hindering him. And in Psalm 51, we get this confession where he says, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. And in verse uh, 12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. So this sin, when we are living in unconfessed sin before the Lord, it hinders our joy. And we need to be like David in this situation and come unto to the Lord because ultimately our sin, while it may affect other people, while we may do something to harm another person, and we're going to talk about this within marriage, ultimately our sin is against God. Yeah. And I mean, you think about what unconfessed sin is. You, you've broken the relationship your relationship with God. And and you've grieved the spirit. Mm -hmm. And so there's this withholding from the spirit, which is what gives the good gifts, which confesses to our spirit that we are children of God. That's why you live in sin. You feel like maybe you're not saved. Because you're living against God's will. The Spirit isn't testifying to your spirit that you're child of God. Now, does that neglect what God has done for you and securing your election and when it is applied to you and, and you're regenerated? No. But we are emotional beings. And our bodies and our emotions work together either to bring us joy or to um, to bring us downcast. Those have physical effects with it. And I think when we think about what then sin does, it separates us from our God. We've claimed to know him, but we're acting disobedient. We don't trust him. We don't believe him when we're in sin. And even in these verses and other ones, we also know that God is quick to forgive his children. Mm -hmm. God desires us to live a fulfilled life, to have life and have it abundantly, to live in, in the world that he makes and to flourish. Yes, and this side of heaven, the flourishing is tainted with sin. It comes with hardship. But that just all the more makes us look forward to the coming rest that we will receive in the new heavens and the new earth. And to, to think about what sin does. And that's just, you know, we can talk about, think about what other people see. But when you bring that into the family... When your spouse, the closest person to you, and you've sinned against them or they've sinned against you, not only is there a broken relationship with God, there's now a broken relationship with another person. And that gives rise to bitterness, mm -hmm. to other sins as kind of that hatred as it develops starts seeping deeper in again sin multiplies sin grows 
And it it's only the spirit of God and confessing our sins. Can we put a stop to that and to restore the relationship? Christians are to be peacemakers. That's our, that's our call. When we sin, we break peace. So confessing our sins brings about peace, brings it back. And it restores that relationship in which then we can now flourish. Yeah. And, and James tells us this in James 5, um, 16, that again, while we, when we sin against God, we want to come in confession to the Lord, uh, in repentance of our sin, and also with one another. And James says that, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayers of the righteous a person has great power as it, as it is working. And when we think about this, confessing one to another, we want to be careful here. We don't want to take this and say, you know, now we need to go as some and say we need to go confess before a priest or we need to go and tell our sins to every single person out here. No, but if I'm sinning against my wife and those sins are brought to my the forefront of my mind and I recognize that I've sinned against her or she comes to me and tells me that I've sinned against her, then what we should do doesn't mean we always do this, but what we should do is then sit down and evaluate that. Okay, let me okay, let me see how have I sinned against you. And and then we when when it's recognized, confess it before one another. Um and and keep short accounts, have that reconciliation that that uh uh is there when you sin against one another because when you keep short accounts, you're not giving the devil a foothold to get in. And as you said, sin begets more sin and more sin. And then bitterness starts to creep in. And we're going to talk about some of these specific sins like bitterness here. But but it, it, it tends to creep in and then there's more to it. There's that bitterness and that anger or hatred towards the person. And it starts to come out in everything, even things that are not necessarily connected to that one issue that... Uh, you know, may have been the offense towards the other person. Now it can come out in all kinds of things that has nothing to do with that. Right. And it begins to affect you personally, uh, as well as the relationship. And then even others around you, if it's in the family unit, it may start to affect the children and whatnot. So mm -hmm. that's why it's important to keep those short accounts, to confess those sins, to deal with those, those sins. Uh, and, and again, I'm not saying this as someone who has it all figured out and perfect in this. There are times because of some of the things we'll talk about, pride or selfishness or reasons where you don't, you, a lack of humility, thinking you're the one that's at fault, but but wanting to go back to our show before and consider the duties of a husband, consider the duties of a wife, and being as a, a duty of a husband to be one who is, um, um, to speaks to or, or lives with his wife in an understanding way. And so sometimes... Uh, we have to consider those things in which God has called us and the duties in which God has given to a, a husband and that of which he has given to a wife of submission to kind of work these things out to the best of our abilities, seeking the wisdom of the Lord uh, and confessing our sins before one another. And like I said, keeping those short accounts so that it doesn't fester and build into something that just gets worse and worse and worse and worse, because that can be very devastating and, and uh, destructive to, to a marriage. And also, if you have kids, it shows them what you actually believe. If you are not quick to forgive, you do not cover sins with love, then your kids notice and they see. 
and it'll impact how they perceive the gospel. Is the gospel something just said or is it lived out? No, they might not like my kids might not be able to, to articulate that, but they see it and they know it. And so even, you know, and with discretion, you know, even asking forgiveness from your spouse in front of your kids and seeing what reconciliation looks like gives the kids an example to, to live because they're going to sin too. They're going to need to learn how to reconcile, be to seek reconciliation and to be reconciled if they're sinned against. And so as we think about just even marriage, but then the whole family unit, you know, sin is just multiplying everywhere. More sin as you add, more sin that there is. Mm-hmm. Um, but being ones that are kind of quick to forgive to cover um to use love to cover multiple of sins um and to to think about what those means for the family will not only help with this sin problem that we'll talk about but is also a demonstration to your kids on how a husband and a wife should act in in this reality that we live in full of sin yeah so as we now kind of get into some specific sins that can be damaging to a marriage and and affect a marriage, um, I think it's important, again, that we, we remember as Christians, we have a flesh that remains that we're fighting against it. Paul says in Romans, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. And so while we are still in this body of flesh, we have a new nature. We're no longer bound by that sin. We're no longer slaves to it. But there are times where we give in to those temptations. And so it is important for us to remember that, again, the roles in which God has given to us we are displaying Christ before the world in marriage. It's the type, it's the picture. We're displaying that, as you said, Mike, to our children within marriage, the way we respond to one another, the way we don't respond to one another, um, the way we interact. And so I think it's important for us to recognize our shortcomings, to, to recognize our areas where we fail, to seek the Lord, to give us the grace and the mercy where we failed and forgive us as well as to seek that forgiveness with our spouses um, and then seek to model that in such a way where as we get into some of these things, regardless of how the other one may sin against you, whether it be the husband to the wife or the wife to the husband, our response to that should be one of godly character of, 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 of a godly example, right? Um, not compromise, but of a godly example of how we do it. Like the scriptures say, be uh, you know slow to listen, you know, or don't be quick to speak, but slow to listen. Uh, you got to be wise, wise as a, a serpent, innocent as a dove. You know, uh, um, a soft answer turns away wrath. These are things that many of the things we talked about in the Proverbs series, which again I would encourage you to go back 
read a proverb a day. There's so much in there and wisdom in how to deal with other people. And who better to deal with when you're dealing with other people than to deal with your spouse that you're in the closest connection with because you're living with each other. Mm-hmm. Right, Mike? Yeah. I mean, I said this at the beginning of the series. The Bible doesn't speak a lot about marriage, but it speaks a lot about marriage. There's not a lot of verses that directly talk about marriage. We've covered some of them. There's not a lot. But when we consider the relationships, the the um, the Proverbs on relationships, how we're to treat one another, how we are to act towards one another, act towards our neighbors, all of those apply in our marriages, how we treat our spouse. Because they are our closest neighbor or should be our closest neighbor. And not only that, if we're in a Christian household, they're also a sister in Christ and they should be treated as such. They're part of, they are in the image of God and should be treated as such. And so anything that is relational relation deals with the relationships that we are to have apply to our spouses and even more so because they see all of our sin. They they know our sin. And so when we, and so even when we, and then at God who knows all things, he can see all things. There is this now call to use the biblical wisdom to promote and build the closest relationship a man and a woman can have. Yeah. So let's look at some sins specifically that can cause some damage to a marriage. And the first one that I I have down here is selfishness, selfishness. And I'm guilty of being selfish many times where you you want to do the things you want to do. And and so you put your desires first. Um, And I'm going to be transparent here. Um, I've done a lot of evangelism over the years, right? And thankfully, my wife has been very supportive in that. But I used to see some of my other brothers who would come out and they'd say, oh, I can't come. My wife, you know, got this going on or this going on. And I'd think to myself, like, man, you know, aren't you the head of the house? Like, can't you make the time? Um, And there were times where I've neglected taking the time with my family because I wanted to go do what I wanted to do go evangelize here. I'm going to take vacation time and I'm going to use my vacation time to go evangelize. I'm not saying that's wrong or right necessarily, but the motives can then affect or the, the, that can affect the family. So now when it comes to my vacation times, I try to plan those. I still take some days where I can go do certain events or do certain things, but I also try to make sure I'm not neglecting my family in that, in that area. Right. And then in other aspects of life, you know, we can be selfish and, and we have to recognize that marriage is not, it's not a 50, 50 thing. You give 50%. I give it. We're 50, 50. We come together. It's a hundred. No, you're to give 100%. And like I said, regardless of the response that's coming from the other side. So if your spouse is not living in a way that honors Christ your response to them should not be one of sinfulness as well. 
it often can be and is because again, we still have this flesh that remains. And if you feel, if I feel that you've wronged me, then I respond in anger or of the like for the spouse to the, the, the wife, to the husband and so forth. So Mike, any thoughts on that? And then we'll, we'll get into some scriptures. I mean, selfishness, God's not selfish. When we think about God and his character, he gives freely and willing to those who ask for it, especially wisdom, as James would say. And even Christ will, I mean, kind of to move into the scriptures when we think about Philippians 2. Do not do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And when we, we think about, obviously, Paul there is talking within the church, mm -hmm. how we're to act within the church, but that is how Christians are to act. He's just applying the idea is that you not only should love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, but also you should love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean then in the church? Well, that's to put, not to do your own agenda. This is what I want to do, but to come to a fan, to kind of serve one another and to build, to build each other up. That's kind of the point of what Paul is going, because he's going to move on to how Christ considered the glories of heaven to be nothing and came down to die on a cross to save mm. us for our sins. Christ wasn't selfish in what he did. And, and so to think about kind of selfishness, that is a desire of the flesh that is only looking after what I want to do and how do I promote myself and how do I do all these things. And in one sense, I think you might even put pride. I mean, I mean, it's a derivative of pride. Mm -hmm. It's the kind of outflowing of pride. And when we think about that and so, yeah, you, I mean, if you only think about yourself, you're going to put others down and that's not going to promote. That's kind of, I mean, it's going to promote bitterness or is this going to have a lot of friction and a lot of arguments because now it's one will against another mm -hmm. and no one likes to, to have their will that is kind of treated with content. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you mentioned yeah. it, Mike, there, the, 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 the first greatest commandment and the second one, like it, the first table and second table of the law, right. Summed mm -hmm. up in all of this, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so, and, and you you said this, like you said, in the beginning of the series when we did it, and then today again, we reiterated the fact that while the scripture may not speak a lot about the relationship within marriage, it does, but while it may not, it does speak about the relationships we have with others, even against our enemies. The Bible says to love your enemies, to do good to those who mm -hmm. persecute you. So the response of a Christian, again, while we fall short and we fail, um, our responses should desire our desires should be that our responses are christ-like and are going to glorify the lord and whatever we do do it unto the glory of the lord but we see this repeated in scripture and for each of these i only gave a few verses and while 
if you're looking in the context, the application, I think, still applies to this idea, as Mike was saying there with Philippians 2. But in 1 Corinthians 10, as Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says in, in 20, verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of your neighbor. Again, it's going back to this, the greatest command and the second command being like it, loving our neighbor. It's a love for our neighbor. And who's the closest neighbor to you? Your spouse. For the wives, your husband should be the closest neighbor to you and, and vice versa, right? It's the closest relationship you have in, in, in all of, uh, of this earth, should be. And so um, we think of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? Everybody knows it. It's read at weddings, said at weddings. But love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Here's this selfishness again that it's not, that's not love is to insist on your own way all the time, right? Um, <clears throat> it's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice with wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. James 3.16 tells us, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and vile practice. So here's this warning, this, this book of wisdom in the New Testament. We talk about the wisdom literature in the Old, the James, this book of wisdom. Where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, you're going to have disorder and every vile practice. That's what's going to happen when you're you know, living out your relationship with someone in a selfish way. It's going to be disorder. It's not going to be in the, the structure, and, and there's going to be that uh, uh, hindrance to your relationship with that individual, and it's going to come out in, in many ways. Um, Romans 15, 1 through 3 says, uh, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let us please his neighbor. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And so with Christ being our ultimate example, if this is, and you, you've already alluded to this, Mike, but if this is how Christ displayed himself, how much more should we seek to then honor Christ in our example to those around us when they see how we interact within our marriages, right? Seeking to uh, not be selfish, but to look to the good of the other individual. Yeah. I was thinking as you were talking here, Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, plants fell, fall with many advisors. They succeed. And well, what does many advisors do? Well, that is showing humility that you're not the only one. And when you consider in marriage and how to control your family, God has given you another advisor, someone else to discuss how your family, whether it's two or more, should operate, should be a part. Yes, it's the husband's duty to, to lead and to go, but... It is selfish for him to lead by himself. He needs counselors. And he has a wife who can help. He has other brothers. If they're kind of stuck at an impasse, don't know what it is that they can talk to. She has, she should have other sisters that can discuss the same thing, or maybe another couple that you guys can discuss together. But all of that shows the, all of that requires 
that you're not selfish, that you're humble enough to accept that you don't always know what's best. I think, again, to think about how this, again, that, that rolls into just our sinful nature and how we think we know what's best in our lives. That instead of worshiping creator, we worship the creature, which tends to be ourselves. And so when we really think about this idea of selfishness and loving others, how even we rule plays a part in that, that the husband, though he leads, it's never his way or the highway. It's that kind of cooperative effort in which then the husband goes with the support of his wife. Yeah. Another area that can bring damage to a marriage and some serious damage to a marriage uh, is discontentment, right? Where you become bored with your marriage. There's not enough excitement for you, or maybe the emotions, the feelings just aren't there within a marriage. And there's this discontentment, which can lead to lots of, uh, it could lead you to give in to many temptations that are out there in the world. You know, uh -huh. um, you're bored. Another, if you're a man and a, another woman or a coworker or somebody comes along that has some excitement towards you, or maybe is flirtatious with you. And there's this excitement there. It can cause, it can lead you into falling into these temptations because you're not content with the, the one that you're with and in your marriage, despite the, the, maybe the lack of emotions or feelings at the time. Um, but what does the Bible say about contentment? And so again, when we apply these principles, uh, we look at, uh, first Thessalonians, 518, it says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So you give thank. Well, okay. Maybe I shouldn't have put that one in there. Maybe I should have done that one a little bit with a little more. Um, regardless of your situations, you find contentment and you give thanks to the Lord in it, seeking the Lord's advice as to how then you respond in this and to maybe change your circumstances or situations. I think what I was more looking for here is uh, Philippians 4. Uh, Paul's writing and he says in verse 11 and 12, not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation that I am to be content and know how to be brought low. Now, again, when we look at these in context, Paul may be speaking more of the financial needs or more of a, a physical need for food or for clothing or whatnot. But again, we can apply this principle within your marriage. While the feelings may come and go at times, the butterflies that they speak of when you first get into a relationship with somebody, they may not be there the same way um, later in, in life or, you know, a couple of years within a marriage or so. But love is not based upon just the feelings. It's a commitment that you're making. It's a covenant between you and the other person before God. And it's a commitment to the love. And so you got to be content within the marriage, even when things don't feel you know, um, ooey gooey, or I'm trying to think of the right words in that, but you still, you work towards it. And this is part of the thing when we come to later, where we talk about guarding the marriage in ways in which you can keep that excitement going. You can, uh, date your, your spouse and not, not just kind of after you've pursued the, the, the woman, um, or a man, so to speak, maybe, um, if the, the woman, you know, um, seeking to court, 
that you don't just stop there once you you get married. You continue those things to keep that going. And you, uh, what's the scripture say? Where you delight in the the wife of your your of your youth. And so you continue. What's that? Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Yeah. So so these are the the things in which you don't want to find yourself in discontentment. Mike, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think one thing to consider too is that, um, especially in the social media age. Um, life is boring. Life is just is. And like, even if you see influencers globe trotting, and they all look fun, it's all it all looks fun. It all looks rose rosy. Um, and the grass is always green on the other side. That is how we act. That is part of what we think. And I think with Ecclesiastes, there's knowledge in there is to to do your work and to delight in your wife. That that is kind of our calling as people, as in specifically men in Ecclesiastes as he writes to his son. Um and to to understand that there is a mundaneness in life. But as you have you mentioned that you know this discontentment is this thought that maybe it's better if something else happens um you you know a man like constantly going out to hang out with the guys kind of neglecting his wife because it's more fun or it's better or it's something he wants to do there's selfish aspects there i'm gonna you can probably see discontentment as selfish that I should be having more fun. I should be doing more things, but mm -hmm. my wife is dragging me down or my husband is dragging me down. This kind of kind of sees some of these flow that kind of come together. And, but as you mentioned, the, I mean, you have, you didn't say here, but on the notes, Hebrews 13, five, Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. God has given you a gift in your wife, in your husband. A good gift. A gift for you to find your joy in. And so to be discontent with your wife is to be discontent with the gift God has given you. You're saying God's not a good gift giver. He should have given you something else. But God is the best gift giver. And so to be discontent is a reflection of your discontentment with God. And that's why when Paul can say he can be content, whether he's brought low or he is high, he has food, he doesn't have food, is because God knows he's... Paul knows that God is with him. He's not going to forsake him. And that to find your delight in the Lord is then to find the delight in the gifts that God has given to you, which won't bring discontentment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well said, brother. Well said. Now, I'm going to throw a few more out here. Um, maybe we'll touch a few verses from each of these and kind of push on for time's sake, because I really do want to get to the guarding part. I was going to do that last week. We ran out of time. So we will throw these out here, but I've been trying pride, to integrate it. Yeah. 
yeah, we have because they kind of many of them do go together. So you can find it within the same thing. Selfishness, you're going to have pride, right? Um, discontentment, you're going to have these issues of selfishness and pride as well. So pride is is another one. Unforgiveness, anger, and bitterness together is is another one. And so when we look at pride, uh, a few scriptures that come out come to mind: Proverbs eleven two. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When we think of unforgiveness, uh, Mark eleven twenty five, 25, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your father also who is in heaven, um, so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. We think about this when, when we, we talk about the scripture that says, if you have something against your brother, first go and make that right and then come and, and bring forth your, your offering, right? Sometimes I don't know if we we consider or think about these things as you're driving to church maybe on a Sunday morning and you're arguing with your spouse. Maybe something comes up and you get in an argument and then you have this 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 um, uh, unforgiveness between each other or you know something situation that's kind of there. And rather than dealing with it, you go in, you you worship, you you, you take communion, you know. But there's this thing that you have with a brother or sister in this case, you know, and so. This is uh, those things that, you know, as it says, when you stand praying, forgive, uh, forgive the other one. Um, and then we have anger and bitterness. And Ephesians 4.31 uh, says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Uh, and then this is why I think this one is, is good, because um, Ephesians 4.26, it says, be angry and do not sin let the, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. So when you think about this anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, and pride, regardless of what it is, if you let the sun go down on your anger, it spews. You give the devil that foothold to get in. And as you mentioned again earlier, Mike, sin begets sin. So your thoughts on those uh, three there? Whatever you want to say. You take take whatever time you want to take, Mike, but just uh, trying to speed take it up it a little all. bit. Take it all. Yeah. So I think when we, we think about all of these. I mean, in one sense, we can say everything kind of points to pride. Mm. That the my unforgiveness is that I have not done something wrong. They have. They need to apologize. Even if maybe I did do something wrong, they're more in the wrong. Or anger and bitter, bitterness. They haven't, again, done something I've wanted to do. They haven't, whatever. All of them is... Because I have set myself up and they have sinned against me. And when we, we think about that, that's they may have sinned against you, but they've sinned if they've sinned against you, they sinned against God. And you're not the tall one kind of in the relationship, it's God. And we see, I think we see what it, what pride does to the ego and to think about, I mean, how big these falls are when a celebrity pastor gets a big ego, thinks there's, can't get, can't go wrong. He can't be wrong. And it turns out he's done something um, outrageous behind closed doors. And now he's disqualified. 
But that comes from pride. And now he's destroyed his marriage because of what he's done. He's led this secret life of lying. And we, we see what pride does. It just erodes away who we are. We make ourselves to be bigger than what we ought to be. Again, that that's found in the selfishness or, or even unforgiveness. And then you kind of, you know, unforgiveness and anger and bitterness, it's all the same. Mm-hmm. When I when I'm not willing to ask for forgiveness or seek reconciliation, the anger and bitterness builds. There's a waiting for them to for them to do it first. Why haven't they come? Don't they recognize they're wrong? You get this anger and bitterness and unforgiveness that you basically allow them to be festered in your mind for free. And it just grows in you and you become more anger, more bitter. But that's not who God is. You have it here. Proverbs 19.11. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it's his glory to overlook an offense. Mm-hmm. How, how, do, how do we protect our marriages from anger and bitterness? We're slow to anger and we're quick to forgive. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is has a hasty temper exalts folly. So if we're we're slow to anger, there's there's wisdom in there. The idea of love covers a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just a one-off sin. Their emotions got the best of them. Maybe it's just show them love. You know, obviously some sins need more formal forgiveness and maybe I say smaller sins, ones that are maybe not as offensive or courageous. There is levels there. I believe there's levels. All is sin, though. Um, But that can be covered. That can be looked over. And so, and to also remember that when we're anger and bitterness, we're not, and we claim to be a Christian, we're showing that the Lord is not merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 103.8. And so I think when we, we think about what's the opposite of these and how do I how do I prevent kind of these sins? It's understanding who God is and who God has called us to be and to enjoy the life that God has given to us. Yeah. And the last two, before we give some practical like ways in which, you know, we can seek to try to attempt to guard our marriages, um, knowing that we still have the flesh that remains and sin that happens within the marriage. But two more is complacency and coveting. And complacency, I mean, I saw this so often when I was in the military, overseas, downrange, when you're in, in, in a war zone, and people have been there for six, seven months, and they get comfortable in their being in there. And then something bad happens because they become complacent not watching their surroundings, not keeping a watch, keeping their mind focused upon the mission, and then, boom, something happens. They weren't alert. And the Bible tells us often to be alert, right? And so 
this complacency can happen within a marriage again dealing with contentment you know you're being discontent um and you get complacent and the bible tells us in proverbs 132 for the simple are killed by the uh by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them so again the warnings that we should not be uh complacent when God's speaking to uh, Israel, Zephaniah 1.12 says, At this time I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. They've become complacent. And so in our marriages, we don't want to become complacent. And then coveting, obviously. The Bible says we should not covet. This is within the Ten Commandments here. Mike, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, when you think about coveting and complacency, they're kind of, I mean, obviously they're, they're different. Kind of the, the complacency, you know, everything just is going as it's going. Everything's kind of in a, in a, in a rhythm. It's kind of moving. Maybe even you can say it's a rut. Just, just the same old, same old, um, I think, like you said, then you're no longer maybe on guard for how you're being selfish. Maybe you're starting to be selfish because you're trying to take extra time for yourself because you think you need it or deserve it. Or one of kind of the other sins with it or without being on alert. We're told to be on alert because the devil is a warring lion. He's being ready to pronounce and to, to think about the devil is ready to attack. Just kind of biding his time, waiting for his time. And so we have to be alert with our marriage, what we're doing with our times and, and being able to protect what needs to be protected so that the family can be flourishing. And then when you think of covening and, and trying to, you know, protecting that is realizing that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Facebook doesn't give you complete reality. Either it's going to give you the roses are always wonderful, or maybe some people all you see is just them complaining about life and how miserable they are. And you have those kind of, those are kind of the images we get. There's no transparency on social media. And so when we, as a couple look at other couples and say that we wish we have this, or we wish to have that, um, brings about this i mean can lead probably to bitterness why don't we have that what am i doing wrong what is they're doing wrong and it's not even really sin that starts building this bitterness up and again to covet things is to say that god hasn't given you a good gift mm -hmm. that he hasn't given the gift that you needed and so when you cover covet other things, you show your dissatisfaction in God, your discontentment in Him. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Amen. 
All right. So now what I want to do is give some, some practical ways in which you can seek to guard your marriage. Now, obviously this is not exhaustive. There's probably many more that someone can think of. We would love to hear if you have any that we don't mention that you think is, is a good suggestion as well. Send it to g220radio at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. So we'll try to go down these as quick as possible. Um, but just talking about them, the first one is prayer. Praying individually for your spouse and praying together. Um, and this may be difficult depending on, uh, we talked about duties and roles, but depending on work schedules, depending on, you know, taking care of the kids, homeschooling, or maybe you don't homeschool. Maybe you take your children to a uh, school and there's just work and so many things going on, but being able to be committed to finding time to do these things. And again, I'm not saying that I do all these things perfectly. I'm, I'm saying these are areas where you look at it, you evaluate these things and say, hey, you know what? Am I praying enough for my wife? Are we praying together for each other and praying for our family and praying for our relationship? Uh, these are these are things and a way in which you can guard your marriage because you're praying and seeking the Lord to give you wisdom, to seeking the Lord to give you the grace uh, to, as we've talked about, to overlook a sin that maybe the wife is, is is short with her husband or the husband's short with his wife that day and a love covers a multitude of sins. And so he's okay. Have you had a rough day at work? I'm going to let that slide because I love him and I, I care about not making this a bigger issue. Not again, saying that there aren't times that need some things need to be addressed because they do, but prayer I think would be uh, the first place to start in guarding your marriage. Yeah, there's just a lot that just prayer does for us psychologically. And to change how our outlet, outlet, our out, outlet, our outlooks, there we go, are on our life. And when we, we come and generally pray, and to to think about just things we need wisdom for in our family how to deal with this rebellious child what should we be doing like what are our next steps should we move or should we not should we take this take should i as a husband take this job you know, what does that look? There are a lot of things we need to come together as a family, as, as a couple to pray. This praying together hasn't been a strong suit. And with my wife and I, we've tried to do it. Just busyness, kind of my forgetfulness just gets, gets in the way sometimes. And again, I think you know, this also shows maybe a, a lack of dependence on the Lord, a little pride that we can do it ourselves. Um, kind of the reasons why we don't pray. Maybe we have sin that's holding us back. So prayer helps us to not only come together unifying and beseeching the Lord, but also to 
be to keep kind of our sins and forgiveness and to find to find the joy that comes with being in the favor of the Lord and to to think about these. I mean that's what prayer is for and God has given it to us and it's all the more that we we pray for our spouses both together and in our own personal prayer. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we all if we're being honest we all could do way better in this area. Prayer is a, seems to be uh-huh. a hard thing for Christians to do just outright. Um, you know, because we get so busy with time and sometimes we allow time. We, we don't redeem the time wisely. We, we, there's many things that we get entertained by that then take away from uh, our time. And so we could all do, do better in this area. I'm, I'm positive of, I'm sure. Um, the next one, um, is spending time together. And I've got a lot of little subcategories under this just to kind of I'll throw them out there and then Mike, we can touch on, you know, a few of them if you want, but being transparent in communication with this spending time together, being transparent and open with one another. Don't assume that the other, like don't assume the husband understands what you're saying. Ask if you think he maybe don't or vice versa, because that can cause a breakdown in the communication. You're assuming something that maybe is not the intention of the other. Um, Also within that don't have any secrets between each other. And I'm not talking about, tell them what you got them for Christmas or their birthday. But I'm saying you don't have secrets. There's no secrets between, uh, there should be no secrets between a husband and his, and his wife. Um, and so share your faith with one another. Uh, the things you're learning, what you're growing. This is part of that discipleship as well as a, of the husband to help his wife because what he's learning, he's then passing it on to his wife and vice versa. Even if the wife's learning something, she could share those things with the husband um, while he is the head. Uh, and if there's some area where maybe uh, there's something she's listening to is dangerous, he can protect her in that area, guard her from that, or vice versa. Maybe the, the wife's aware of something that the husband wasn't, and she you know, is studying the theology as well or, or reading and picks something up, and, and they can protect each other. It's a helpmate, right? Um, share your temptations. Now, I, I do think that we have to be careful in this. Um, I think we, we want to be transparent. We want to be open. But again, sometimes not everything needs to be said, and we can maybe elaborate on that a little bit. But if there are certain temptations that you're prone to, asking or bringing them before your wife or your your husband, then they can help you in those areas, you know, um, to overcome those temptations. They're 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 there for you as a helpmeet, and and the husband's there again for the wife as well, to be trustworthy of one another. Um, uh, guard your time together. This could be an important thing. We talk about being busy, but guard your time. Mike, you said that you and your wife try to set up a, a date. I think you said Fridays or something where you, um, on one of the, sh- the shows we was talking about where you can have some time together. That may not always happen because, you know, kids and life and things happen, but trying to set those times together. I know it's been a very difficult thing for, for me and my wife because since Piper's been born, we really haven't had very much alone time, you know, to go out on a date. Um, because we don't have, uh, I want to say, um, try not to offend people, but we don't have trustworthy people that are close to us that live within the vicinity that we would want allow Piper to to stay with. You know, we have family members and they're good uh, parents and, and whatnot, but as they do as not Christians that we just don't allow in our home and we wouldn't want there to be those kind of influences. You know what I mean? And so. We try to be very careful with that. 
And it doesn't allow us to have then those times to go out and just have that one-on-one -on -one date as much as we probably need, uh, as I know we need, and, and as much as, you know, what would be more, more of a benefit to us. Um, add a little fun in, you know, your, your relationship with one another. Um, and I put here, like, leave notes to be found, you know, in the lunchbox, on the refrigerator, somewhere, you know, like, just a little fun to the marriage, right, um, in spending this time together. Uh, don't say everything you think. It doesn't always have to be said, you know. Um, that's a way, again, with communication. Uh, this is a big one. Go to church together as a family, right, as a spouse and husband. I, I've seen, like, it's very odd to me. And I think these are godly people. They love the Lord. But I, I've, I've seen way too many people where the husband goes to one church and the wife goes to another. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't think it's the right thing. Right? But um, I see that. You should go to church together. And then obviously, uh, it's important to have ongoing uh, romance and sexual intimacy within the marriage. Because, again, as Paul tells us in Corinthians... Because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife so that he's not tempted for those things. But then also that adding to the romance, trying to keep that along, continuing to date your wife, uh, which, again, can be hard with time and you get complacent because you're married and you think, well, I don't need to pursue anymore. But there should be that ongoing uh, dating within the marriage life. Now, there's a lot there that I just kind of threw out there, Mike. So um, go ahead. Yeah. So there was a lot. I think I guess spending time together and there's a lot there because of how important it is that, you know, you can't in one sense spend every waking moment together, especially if the husband had to work and we get busy. Lives are busy. Um, but there are times where even in the busyness and maybe it's, maybe not the best time to do something. Um, but to be intentional in spending time with each other, there's been times at the end of a week, we just were exhausted. It's been a, a trial week and we relax and just enjoy each other's company, probably watching some food competition. Cause that's what we do. We're just, you know, we're just cutthroat kitchen game on, like love it. <laughs> and, and, and so we do things that we both enjoy and, and just to spend time with each other, not maybe not a formal date night. We may not go out. We may make some brownies, beignet, who knows, but sometimes it's just being together watching something that we both enjoy and having that time set aside or maybe doing a game. And the, the importance of there, because in one sense, they're supposed to be your best friend. You want to spend time with your best friend. And all of that, just making that time to do it to spend time to be with them so you can have this kind of transparent um, communication and that you can kind of get along and think about dream, maybe dream about what you want to see in 10 years 
or or whatever that that may be but just to to be together and like you said i think going to to the same church is vitally important to worship god together to be with each other in the service and to to be there is helpful because you're both listening to the same sermon and you can think about how this applies to your life and maybe to your marriage and to consider how to love your spouse even better than you did when you walked in to, to grow in godliness. That's how the primary means in which God helps us to grow. And so going church together, being fed together and just having that intentional time to be around making it intentional even when it may not seem the wisest god create us to have to be ones who need rest and recreation and spending time together is one way you can find rest recreation renew your soul and also be able to enjoy each other's company and it doesn't have to be expensive and big and going to target or movie or something like that it can be simply just sitting together on a couch watching something or playing a board game just having something to do together that brings about relaxation brings about kind of this rest and re relaxing and just time to pour into the relationship yeah <clears throat> Yeah, one of my favorite favorite things to do with my wife, and we haven't gone in a while because of schedules and, and finances or whatnot, but is when we take our trip down to Amish country. It's an hour and a half drive down and an hour and a half drive back, and we spend the day pretty much we go to uh, thrift stores, we, we look around, stop somewhere, maybe get something to eat. Not a, a super expensive day for us. We try to be very... Um, wise with what we spend and how much we you know we, we spend while we're down there and most of the stuff we resell it's you know a side business that we do but but um it's that time in the car and there's conversation going on there's you know just just being able to go down and enjoy the countryside enjoy the, the you know the trip so it, like you said it doesn't have to be something that's expensive you can find little things to do that are inexpensive with a lot of kids. We don't, it's hard to go to like the big expensive things all the time. So uh -huh. like for, as a family, we, we, we go to the park, you know, and the kids play on the park and run the trails or whatever. And it's cheap. It's not expensive, but you have a fun time. Right. Um, one of the other things I, I wanted to mention too, with the guarding your time. And the reason I put that in there is unless it's an emergency, sometimes you have to tell other people, no, we can't do something. I'm spending time with my wife or spending time with my family. You have to guard that time. And that can be difficult, especially if you're in ministry as a pastor and whatnot, and you've got all these people calling and pulling on you, but you have to guard that time together. Um, some other things here as we, we move on is uh, safeguarding your relationship with other men and women. Uh, and so under this, I put um, no opposite sex friendships, right? And, and I mean that in the sense where it's not that you can't be a friend of, if you're a, a wife, have men that you're friends with, but they shouldn't be your friend and not the marriage friend. 
friend to the marriage. It shouldn't be a, a relationship where you're going and hanging out with your best friend who happens to be a guy, or you're a guy, you're married, and you're going and hanging out, going to the movies and, and hanging out with your best friend that's a woman. That should not be there. Um, Mike, as you mentioned, the spouse should be your best friend. That should uh, eliminate, you should eliminate those kind of uh, relationships because then it always leaves rooms for uh, temptations, for sin to, to creep in, um, as well as being careful with uh, girls or guys night out. Um, as you said, it's not, it's not a wrong thing to, to go out with the guys and hang out once in a while. But does that become the majority where that's what you look for and you long to do? And then are you doing things when the guys are hanging out that can cause you to then fall into other temptations or girls nights out where you're going out and, you know, having a good time and maybe lead one thing leads to another. Um, you have to guard your marriage. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that you can't get together with other women uh, and have a good time as, as a woman um, or a man get together with their friends. But you have to be wise in that to guard it. And then boundaries in the workplace. Um, I've seen it being in the military. Mike, I know you was in the military. Um, and this is a tough example because this happens a lot in the military. But you go away on a deployment and you're working closely with women. Uh, and if you're a man, I've seen so many marriages destroyed because they're not guarding their marriage by having boundaries in the workplace. Uh, I even see it, you know, where I work today or, you know, where I work at in, in, in the now, uh, where the way men talk about their spouses to other women in there, or the way women speak about their spouses to other men that they're talking to at work. And do you have to have boundaries to where you're not opening yourself up to that? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the relationship between a, a man and a woman when they're not married changes in marriage and we should recognize that. And I think part of it too is like, who are your friends? Like that needs to be considered. So when my wife goes out for girls night with other ladies from the church, it can be a time of edification and mm -hmm. to joy. Cause they can talk about, maybe issues that women are having that, you know, maybe not necessarily I need to know as a man and to, to think about and to be edifying that way. And I think the same thing can happen when, you know, when Christian men to get together and that edifying um, time that we can spend together and transparency and lifting one another up and spurring one another onto love and good works. And to think about those, those times. But like he said, when you start um, having quality time with someone of the opposite sex than you are, and you're married, you're just, you're opening up to, you're, you're just, how do it? You're you're a city without any walls. Mm -hmm. That's that's what you are. You just opened yourself up to be attacked, to to fall into sin. And that's it's whether you try to or you can try to resist it, 
but it's going to be difficult. And especially think, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's a slippery slope that you're going down. Cause that can then breed some of the sins that we talked about, a discontentment with your wife. Um, or other, um, kind of the pride, a pride in it, thinking that you're fine, you can do this. But your primary relationship should be to your wife. Mm -hmm. The guys, hanging out with the guys, it's good, it's edifying, we should do it. But that primary relationship is always the wife. And when you kind of separate that to these other relationships, though they're needed and they're good, um, at least with like your your friends, your your guy friends or, or your female friends for a wife, um, to to not guard those times with your wife will just bring about challenges, especially if she's taking care of the kids and you're always gone with your friends doing other things, mm-hmm. whether they're in theory good things in ministry stuff like that. You know, there's still going to be, you still need that time. And so right. guarding your marriage, safeguarding those, your relationship is also safeguarding the relationship with your wife. Yeah. Yep. Now the next one here is the in-laws. So you guard your marriage when it comes to the in-laws. In-laws can be very helpful. They can be a blessing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, most of the time they just want to help. But you have to guard your marriage in this area in the aspect of not allowing your in-laws to get between you and your spouse Uh, in the decisions you make, in the way you raise your children. um, You know, you can't you can't be having a a conversation with your mother uh, about the, the things you dislike about your wife, because then that builds within that relationship with your wife discontentment, you know, um, uh, anger, bitterness, because, you know, um, if, a, if, a, if a spouse, if a, if a parent is getting into their, their child's marriage, they could be unintentionally um, affecting that relationship as well. And so there are many positive things with in-laws too. I'm not just saying, throwing that out there, but I'm saying yeah. there are those things that you need to guard to make sure, you know, that this is the marriage is between me and my wife. And while you can give mm-hmm. us wisdom or input in suggestions and things that you may think would benefit us or some, some um, uh, trying to think of the, the, the right word. Uh, I can't even think of the word at the, at the moment. Uh, you can give us advice, you know, uh, but ultimately the decisions are made between a husband and his wife. And we're, you shouldn't let anybody come between that, including the in-laws. Yeah, I think that's important. And when you have excellent in-laws, I think they do add a lot mm-hmm. um, in your marriage and can be beneficial and helpful. But like you said, there's a place for them to be and then there's not a place. And I think and part of it is if you know I'm discontent with my wife and I keep going to – my family about it, it's going to breed a discontent in my family against my wife, mm-hmm. um, which is not good. And not only that, I'm to honor her and to serve her. And if I'm, you're not doing that. So, um, you know, and sometimes 
you have to make those boundaries with your in-laws. Um, fortunately for us, we haven't had uh, neither side of our our family. So my my family or my wife's family have we've had to really um, have this drawn this line. Um, which we're thankful for, but sometimes you do have to make those hard choices and to have them respect that boundary of that. This is our marriage between me and my spouse. And you're not like included in it. It's not all of us are one. It's just us two are one. Yeah. And from experience, I can, I can share with you that like I've, I've experienced where I've had, and I won't name names in case these family members watch, but I've had a family member who was constantly speaking badly about another family member, and I found myself getting angry and frustrated with this other family member that was being spoken of badly. And I recognized, mm -hmm. wait, this person in my family is having an effect on me and the relationship I have with this other person in the family. And so that's what you want to guard with your in-laws coming in and maybe then causing uh, unintentionally, even maybe, maybe it is unintentional, but a rift between you and your spouse. So you want to guard uh, for that. The other thing here is uh, dressing modestly. Um, because again, I think the Bible speaks about dressing modestly. Um, but we live in such in a culture where um, just the, the clothing and the, the designs of clothing today are very immodest. And so you don't want to put yourself into a situation where you draw unnecessary attention. Now I get it. I understand that a man is still responsible for his eyes. He's still responsible for the sin that, you know, um, too long of a look that leads him to cause or leads him into to lusting or whatnot. He's still responsible for that before the Lord. But a woman, a, a sister in Christ, one who is, is a believer, should be modest in their dress. And even for a man to be modest in his dress, you know, um, so that you're not bringing unnecessary attention to yourself, right? Yeah. Um, I think you said it all just to, it's both and. I think mm -hmm. a lot of times you see in the Twitter debate, it's, well, men should have more self-control, and they should. They should. But right. it's a both and. And even the, the Bible tells us, or instruct women to not kind of focus on the external appearances, but on, um, how does Paul or Peter say that? First read through, I don't want to butcher it. Um, but when he talking about um women he says yeah don't let your adorning be external the braiding of hair putting on gold jewelry or the clothing you wear but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with imperishable beauty of gentleness and quiet spirit which in god's eye is very precious and to to understand that what are kind of the theology of clothes, the theology of clothes is because we're sinful human beings and we need to be clothed. We're not innocent as we were before the fall. Mm -hmm. And so when 
we use clothes to bring about those desires, whether intentionally or not intentionally, um, reflects what we think of sin and, and what it means to not have now this um, intimacy with our spouses and with God that we should be. And to consider what that means, I think that plays off also, I think kind of skipping a point, what you're saying is, you know, guarding our eyes and our ears and what we say, those, those go hand together, whether it's certain movies or walking around, even Walt Disney world, mm -hmm. um, we have to be on alert and guarding our eyes, guarding our mind and making sure that we are um, living a life of self-control and all that we do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speaking of that, that point there, like you said, it, it's very difficult to go places these days where you're not going to find people dressed immodestly. I mean, just going to a pool or going to a lake, you know, or the ocean, you're going to have um, people dressed in a way that is, it's basically like they're out there in their undergarments, you know, underwear. Um, and, and so you have to be able to, as Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes, right? And so you have to be able to, to, to guard, you need to seek to guard your eyes from that. And as you said, guarding your ears to the things you hear. Um, the, the movies you listen, watch, the music you listen to, um, things like that, because you don't realize sometimes the effect that has on you. Um, sometimes it's, it's later that you start thinking, man, that was influenced kind of like the family member who was negative about another family member. And I realized afterwards that was influencing me towards my, my interaction with this person. And so you, you got to do that as well. And porn, you just got to say no to it. Um, and a lot of those things, discontentment, um, maybe sexual needs aren't being met. And, and then th there's those times where you get alone and it can be a dangerous time. Um, the, the temptations come, but you got to have ways and measures in place where you can guard yourself from these things and just say, no, I cannot give in to these temptations. Because again, once you start going down that path, sin begets sin, begets more sin and more sin. Um, and that's where you end up then finding adulterous, you know, affairs and things like that, because it wasn't enough to satisfy. And so you just keep on getting further and further into it. Um, remember, God sees we'll all. Yeah. God sees all. God sees all. God knows. Like you can hide it and maybe no, no one, no human will know, but God knows. Yeah. All three do. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a good thing to think about, too. I think it was a, um, it might have been Lecrae in one of his songs where he thought, where he said, and this was a long time ago, I don't really listen to Lecrae anymore, but something along the facts that whenever I'm, I'm tempted to sin and I think about Christ up on the cross, right? Mm -hmm. But thinking upon these things when you're tempted, think about the fact that God knows my temptation. He knew that I was going to be tempted in this before I was even tempted in this, and he knows and so if I go through with this, I'm willingly sinning against the Lord. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and every so, temptation has a way out. 
Every temptation has a way out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing here is the uh, budget that you have with your family. Plan it. Stick to it. Financial problems have caused so many issues in marriages, right? Uh Um, Maybe you're not budgeting correctly. You're spending money. Somebody's spending money foolishly. And then it causes you to start having a lot of financial problems. And and then it just kind of spirals downhill. Maybe you're unable to catch up. uh, And that can cause a lot of anger, bitterness towards the other person. Maybe the husband's foolishly spending money on buying all these things that he thinks he needs. And you're like, we need food. We need to pay this bill. Or maybe it's the other way around. The husband's working and, and, and providing. And then the wife is out shopping and going to target, which is a very expensive place. I don't know why anybody would shop at target anyway, but you mentioned target earlier and I'm thinking, why did we shop at target? We often find ourselves <laughs> on date nights at target. I don't yeah. we just do. Piper likes that. Every time she's like, Oh, target, let's go to target. I'm like, why? What's there? You know, so, but, um, yeah, no, I, I, I get it. Um, and so that, that can be an issue, the finances. And so you, you got to some, you got to make a budget and, and stay on it. And this is not an area where I'm going to say I'm strong in because, uh, you know, I don't can't remember when my wife and I've sat down to, to go over a budget. Um, we just kind of look at what we have and go from there, but it's an important way to guard your, your marriage by guarding your finances and being a good steward of what you have together. And, yeah. and so therefore then, uh, like I said, stewarding that well. I would also add joint joint accounts. You shouldn't. Oh yeah. Really oh yeah. Good one. Separate Good one. Yeah. Accounts. So that. So again, there's transparency in the finances. Um. Now, I don't. You know, I don't think I may have tra- have added my wife to all of the accounts I have. Um. If she asks, I'll, I'll go. You know, show them. There's nothing to hide. Um. But I do think you know our main account is a joint account. Both of our checks are deposited in there. It's what we pay for everything. It's when we pull things out for savings, it's coming from out there. So we have, so we know what we have and it, and it's, it's transparent. Um, so then because being newly wed, I may, I paid maybe $600 or so for a Lagos Bible package. We maybe didn't have the money. It was new. We just got our tax return. I made a foolish decision. We'll just, we'll we'll put it at that. Um, But it's those types of things that could hurt. Like you said, debt. And especially when you get into a lot of debt, it just snowballs and compounds. And so being financially responsible in one sense, brings joy because you're not worried about where the next meal is. You can rest in God's goodness and the abundance he's given to you. Um, and to, to think about that and that that's one less stress on your on your marriage um, to, to think about it. And so, yeah, it's, it is just a good idea to not only budget, but have shared accounts known accounts nothing is hidden um that you can kind of stash away for you or or in whatever you want to do it for that it that it is known um Mm. 
and then that we have that there's i guess at least knowledge of these accounts um even if they're maybe not on the account for one reason or another yeah yeah um another thing here that i put down as a way of seeking to guard your marriage is when you get into arguments don't say divorce don't use divorce as something you can throw out there right I, I i don't believe in the affirmation affirmation speech or the new age thought of um speak things into existence but i think it's damaging to a to a marriage and as well as the children who watch and see these things that all oh, every time mom and dad get into an argument they throw out this word divorce i don't think that's something you should ever throw out in, in a marriage because one not that divorces don't happen next time next family show we have which will be probably in uh april because we're <laughs> kind of full in march but um but uh we'll be on divorce and remarriage so it's not that it do doesn't at times happen divorces but i don't think it's something that christians that are both believers in Christ should throw out there in their arguments with another, with, with their, their spouse, as well as, you know, in threats or even in joking, you know, in, in doing that. Uh, I don't think that that should be something that's, that's thrown out. Yeah. I mean, divorce is so devastating to a family. And I mean, in some of the proponents of, like kind of no divorce, which we'll talk about in the next show, I think highlights it just the, the importance of facts that we're called to a lifeline commitment and to start joking or threatening for divorce maybe is an indication in your own heart to try to get out, to find a way out. And I mean, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? That's what just yeah. came to mind, yeah. And so, and just to, the fact that it's a serious thing. You're breaking a covenant you've made before men and God that you've come together as one. And it should be taken seriously. God doesn't threaten to take our salvation away because we sin. And marriage is the reflection of God's love for the church that he sent his son to die on the cross and that his son does things to purify his bride for marriage. When we get to heaven, nowhere does God threaten to remove our salvation. In fact, when you think about Hosea, he pursues even in this broken relationship, the people he set to save when they've forsaken him. And I think it's just, if we're going to reflect God in our marriage, we should think about the harm that divorce is and the fact that God doesn't divorce his people. He is yeah. faithful to the end and we're called to be faithful to the end. Yeah. Amen, brother. And uh, another one here is establish boundaries for your kids. Um, and uh, this is uh, your biological children. And because we live in a broken world at oftentimes, 
um, when people get married, they may have children already from previous relationships. And so that is going to play a factor. And we're, we're going to talk about um, parenting uh, even out probably in April as well when we get back into the series. But this is an important thing to do. I, I know for an example, I was talking to a person not too long ago and he said <clears throat> they're in, he's in a relationship with this, this girl who they have maybe a couple children together with. They've been together for a long time, but she has a child from another, you know, uh, relationship prior to that, that he's not allowed to discipline. They live together and everything, not married, which is, you know, obviously we would counsel like marriage, right? But she says to him, you're not the father, so you can't discipline this child. When you don't have boundaries within a relationship, worth setting those boundaries or establishing those boundaries with those children, you're not doing them justice. You're, you're not doing them um, rightly. And it can cause that rift between that relationship. You know, if, if, if you're allowing your children to get between you and your spouse, again, there's going to be a rift there. Right. And so you want to establish those boundaries with, with the children. I think too, establishing boundaries also allows you to be a unified front mm -hmm. with your kids. So we just had an, uh, a case here recently where my son asked me for something and I said, no, he went outside him and his sister conjured out a plan. He came back inside and asked my wife for the same thing. I just told him no about now. She heard me say no. Um, and we made it very clear, like, that's not allowed. You're not allowed to go to the other parent to ask for something that's pinning against us. And we're one. And not only that, how we discipline, we are on the same page on how we discipline. We have the boundaries set so that we, we discipline the same. So it doesn't matter if it is mommy who disciplines or it's, daddy who disciplines it's the same and so having these boundaries these set rules not only allows the children to flourish because there's no ambiguity on what is wrong and what is not wrong depend on you know who's is mom with us is dad with us that sets the boundary this is this is it and it's unified with the husband and the wife and so having clear defined boundaries on discipline and action just helps out the family and helps the the husband and the husband and wife to be unified and together when these issues arise there's no ambiguity there's no kind of putting a parent in a in a in an awkward position because something's happened and they're not on the same page. Yeah. And to wrap it up, it's something we already covered, but to reiterate again is within your marriage to guard your marriage, keep short accounts, uh, be quick to forgive your spouse. Uh, and, and if you do these things, you're going to display a Christ-like character to one another, as well as to your children and others observing your family from the outside. Again, we know that we are still at war with the flesh that remains. 
It's not an excuse, but it's a reality that it's there. And we are sinners living together. Um, sinners saved by grace. We have the grace of God. We've been justified by Christ. But we have to recognize that there are going to be times where we butt heads, where we disagree, where we are prideful, where we do respond in anger, where we don't uh, put the needs of the other person first. And those are times where we have to recognize it, keep short accounts, um, confess it to one another, uh, and reconcile. Because that is the picture that Christ gives us, that he does for us. And I mean, how much more gracious can we be? Um, we'll never be as gracious as God, but we should seek to be dis display the grace and mercy to others and love to others and compassion to the others. Um, and remembering, as was said more than once on the show, that love covers a multitude of sins. And so with your spouse, you want to do that. Mike, last thoughts, man. Yeah, I think all of this, these kind of fit together, both of these topics. I know we're kind of kind of moving and shuffling things around, but to to safeguard your marriage from these sins require work and effort on both parts. And that's coming together and being time with each other. Um, and in doing so and being with each other and spiritually growing with each other and, and relaxing and enjoying each other will help you not sin against your spouse. It's not the panacea. It's not going to stop it all because we still fight against the flesh. Our emotions take over. We don't always have the self-control we need, but when we try to safeguard our marriage and be intentional with it, it will reduce the amount of times that we will sin against our spouse because that's how God has that's just living in God's world by God's way. Amen. <clears throat> so as I said, our family series will continue. Uh, we have a couple more episodes. We're going to talk about divorce and remarriage, and then we're going to talk about children. And that will happen, I believe, in April because uh, next week we have um, – Andrew Unincy, I think is how we pronounced his name. Uh, he was on the show when we did Why Calvinism is Bad. We're going to have a part two coming up um, next week. And then March, we have three guests already scheduled for next month. And so we're looking forward to those programs as well. And so that kind of puts our, pro our, our family series a little... Um, going into April. And so that's fine. We will, we will get through this, but, um, it's, uh, looking forward to it. But when we do come back, we will talk about divorce and remarriage. And then, like I said, children. So that's been G224 tonight. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, email us at G220radio at gmail.com. Again, it's G220radio at gmail.com. And until next time, God bless and good night.